Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Seltzer Kings. All I'm saying, Gavin, is you should probably call Prince Andrew and tell him that he's in a lot of trouble. The following podcast contains... Profanity, food jokes, and tired comedy references. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you're wanted for questioning and being part of an international pedophile ring and you pick New Hampshire to hide out in, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 269 of Snitch Fairy Gets Her Wings, where we talk about the latest sordid chapter in the saga of Jeffrey Epstein. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Are You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Hank's Hideouts because sometimes you just gotta lay low for a while. Are you looking to avoid certain conversations with official type people, need to duck questions about certain questionable activities you may or may not have direct knowledge of? Then you need a hideout, my friend, and Hank's Hideout can help you find one on any budget. From low-rent no-tell motels off the highway to palatial estates deep in the country, Hank's Hideouts will keep you comfortable while you're on the lam. It doesn't matter what you did or didn't do. We don't want to know about that. All we want is cash in hand, and we'll get you off the grid. Ask about our Eddie Snowden international flight to avoid extradition package where we quietly whisk you out of the country a step ahead of the law to a safe place somewhere in the world. I mean, you won't like it there, but at least the feds can't touch you. Hank's hideouts. Maybe you did it. Maybe you didn't. Either way, we've got you covered. That's right. That's right. Years ago when I was in the military, I was assigned to watch eight large cases secured with all kinds of locks and seals overnight in an aircraft hangar. This kind of thing happened with some irregularity. A plane would fly in, drop off the boxes, and the next day another plane would fly out with the boxes, and overnight a cop would be assigned to watch them. Oh, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? No one knew exactly what was in the box. We knew it couldn't be weapons or explosives. That kind of thing had to be marked. It wasn't documents because why so big? So uh, the common consensus was a shit, shit ton of money. Some speculated it was payroll for some remote base. Others guessed it was a CIA money headed out for some kind of payoffs. Others still wondered if it was some kind of money laundering scheme by a general. None of us ever found out exactly what was in the box, but we all thought about it whenever we stood that watch. And we also thought about what it might take to, you know, I mean, at least once during the night. I mean, not seriously, just as kind of a thought exercise, what it would take, how long before anyone would notice we were gone. Could we actually get away with it? I mean, we would even drunkenly discuss it from time to time because, you know, it's what cops do. Needless to say, no one ever went beyond the goofing stage of fantasy because, well, 
not only would it be illegal and shit, but uh, what if we went to all the trouble of actually jacking the stuff and got to a quiet spot, couldn't spot in the mountains, cracked open the boxes, and they were full of fucking toilet paper or something? I mean, none of us would put it past the military to do these kind of things just to see if we could be trusted. So uh, we would watch them overnight, and first thing in the morning, they would go on the plane and disappear. Just another curious moment and a long list of curious moments we had all experienced when in the military. I'll tell you one thing, though. If I ever had stolen it, I would not fucking hide in goddamn New Hampshire. New Hampshire? Nothing against the Granite State, but if I were looking to stay off the radar of any number of federal agencies and money were no object, I'm not going to pick a small state. I'm thinking big, empty, boring, and if for some reason I have to stay in the country, probably with a city or two. You blend in. No one apparently told this to Ghislaine Maxwell, Jeffrey Epstein's accomplice in child rape. Allegedly. Because she was arrested in New Hampshire last week. You might remember, it was around this time last year, that convicted child rapist and millionaire pedo-procure Jeffrey Epstein was arrested on charges of, you know, being a notorious child rapist and possibly kitty pimp for the rich and famous. Jeff didn't last all that long before... No, I definitely did not. ...kill himself in jail. Which seemed to be the end of the story, much to the relief of the assorted rich and famous fuckers who Jeff set up with underage girls. Allegedly. But there was one last loose thread that remained to be plucked. And that was Epstein's one-time paramour and girl goon, Ghislaine Maxwell, who helped find, groom, and curate Jeff's harem of child prostitutes. What, what I had meant to say was allegedly... So this week I thought we could dig into the story of Ghislaine Maxwell, since next week we will almost certainly be digging into the story of her untimely and totally unexpected death in jail. There's no way you could have seen that coming. Who was, I mean... Sorry, who is? She's still alive for a few more days at least. Ghislaine Maxwell, where did she come from? How did she fall in with Epstein? And why her life will be so senselessly cut short in this tragic shower accident in the Metropolitan Detention Center. Ghislaine Noel Maxwell, born Christmas Day 1961 in France to British publishing tycoon Robert Maxwell and his wife Elizabeth. Robert Maxwell alone is the subject of an entire podcast series as this fucker led an interesting life. What, is that? what does that mean? Well, long story short, Robert Maxwell was very rich, a member of parliament, but not funkadelic, a media baron, possibly a Mossad spy, and definitely a criminal. And he mysteriously fell off his yacht in late 1991, leaving behind his family a mountain of debt as he'd been bilking his companies from for millions of dollars for years and years and years. Ghislaine was the ninth and youngest child and allegedly the apple of her father's eye. After attending Oxford, Maxwell settled into a life of the English socialite, which in the 1980s meant just one thing. Like Phil Collins? and cocaine. I mean, I have no direct evidence or allegations that Ghislaine Maxwell did cocaine in a Soho nightclub while partying with Phil Collins, but it was the 80s and that kind of thing just goes without saying. Now, I'm honor-bound to report that Phil's number was one of over 1,500 names in Epstein's infamous black book, though uh, there's no indication that Phil was at all close with Epstein or Maxwell. What we definitely know is that Maxwell was well-known and well-connected in the London social scene. 
She rubbed elbows with the rich and famous and infamous. Names like Mick Jagger, Ariana Huffington, Martha Stewart, Michael Bolton, and of course, Prince Andrew and his now ex-wife, Sarah Ferguson. If you were rich, famous, or the kind of person that liked to suck the balls of the rich and famous, you probably met Ghislaine more than once. She, uh worked primarily for her father as a director of the Oxford United Football Club at several of her father's newspapers in various roles. And according to newspaper reports at the time, Robert Maxwell essentially created an unprofitable company that dealt in corporate gifts, which I can only assume did not mean the cheap pieces of lucite crap that formed the backbone of the corporate gift business. I mean, it's just plastic. When Maxwell purchased the New York Daily News, Ghislaine was assigned as his personal emissary, which in this contact meant Glane lived and partied in Manhattan for a while because it's very good to be young and rich. But all of that ended when daddy was Epsteined off the back of his yacht, maybe by the Mossad. Allegedly. And the family fraud business was exposed, leaving the Maxwell family penniless. I mean, not penniless like you and I would be, but penniless for a billionaire who had tons of money hidden away in secret accounts around the world. That kind of pen penniless. You've lost your objectivity. Trust me, I never had any. Ghislaine moved full-time to Manhattan after Daddy tripped and took to the life of a Manhattan socialite in the early 1990s, which meant uh, doing blow in a dance club with Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. I have no direct evidence or allegations that the Maxwell did coke in a Soho nightclub while partying with Marky Mark, but it was the 90s, and that thing just sort of goes without saying. During her early years, Ghislaine palled around with the kind of people you might expect under the circumstance, you know, real salt of the earth hype type people like Adnan Khashoggi, the international arms dealer, and Ivana Trump. Where'd she find these fucking people? They probably shared a coke dealer. It was also around this time when Ghislaine met an up and coming young child molester millionaire by the name of Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> According to the story, she met Jeff after a particularly brutal breakup with Count Gianfranco Sigogna. Okay, you are totally making this up. No, no, that's a real name. He was Italian nobility, heir to a chain of Euro European hotels, and uh, would go on to die in a ferry air show crash when he lawn darted his jet into the ground in 2012. No word on whether it was the Vatican or the Mossad who arranged that accident. After the breakup with Stiacano, Ghislaine met Jeffrey, and by the time of her father's unfortunate accident, the two were fast friends. From a Sunday Mail article in 1992, quote, Unnoticed by almost everybody traveling her was a grain, plumpish, middle-aged American businessman who managed to avoid photographers. It is to this man that 30-year-old Ghislaine has turned to ease the heartache of her father's shame. His name is Jeffrey Epstein a shadowy, almost maverick New York property developer who for over a year has helped Ghislaine become a coveted fixture in the Manhattan social scene. During the last year, say friends, she has fallen in love with him and the couple are inseparable. By Epstein's side, Ghislaine is building respectability in New York, which will be impossible in London with the wounds created by her father's cut deepest. In New York, they adore the progeny of felons as much as the felons themselves. Epstein is the key. A fortnight ago, they were at a restaurant opening in Manhattan. Ghislaine was billed as the celebrity invitee. She is also a regular guest at his Upper East Side apartment. But his most public association with Ghislaine came pointedly 
when he sat next to her and her mother Betty at a tribute dinner at the Plaza Hotel last year in Robert Maxwell's memory. This was, for Ghislaine, the first step in publicly announcing her deep affection for him, and yet, like much associated with the Maxwell clan, little is known about Mr. Epstein, unquote. What happens next is, to put it mildly, It's murky, but it's big. And breaks out roughly along three lines, depending on who you ask, under what conditions they answer, namely the conditions of whether or not they're under threat of perjury, and when you ask it. In the tabloids of the time, Ghislaine and Jeff were a romantic couple, a couple where one side Maxwell de desperately loved and wanted to marry the other, but Epstein refused to be tied down to just one woman, what with all the teenage girls he had to rape. The next track is of the tales told is told by Maxwell under deposition in which the relationship cooled to a mutual friendship and admiration, but she really had very little to do with Jeff after that initial fling. And finally, the victim's narratives who show Maxwell as not only assisting Epstein, find and curate the children he raped, but sometimes took part in the actual sex acts. It's also possible, if not probable, there are elements of truth in all of that. Certainly, Maxwell's friends today want to portray her as as much a victim in all this as, say, any 13-year-old sexual assault survivor. Depends on who you want to believe. You know, I think I know who I'm going to put my faith in in this question. I guess the most unbiased summary is the one in Wikipedia. Quote, Maxwell had a romantic relationship with Epstein for several years in the early 1990s and remained closely associated with him for decades afterwards. The nature of their relationship remains unclear. In a 2009 deposition, several of Epstein's household employees testified that Epstein referred to his as his uh, main girlfriend who also hired, fired, and supervised his staff starting around 1992. She has also been referred to as the lady of the house by Epstein's staff and as his aggressive assistant. In a 2003 Vanity Fair profile on Epstein, author Vicki Ward said Epstein referred to Maxwell as his best friend. Ward also observed that Maxwell seemed to organize much of Epstein's life, unquote. Eight different women have come forward to accuse Ghislaine Maxwell in court documents to be not only actively involved in the procurement and preparation of girls under the age of 18 for sex with Epstein and others, but also that Maxwell and Epstein pimped them out to rich and famous friends of Epstein, and sometimes Maxwell would actively participate in the acts of sexual assault on the women under the age of consent. Virginia Giffray, the earliest and one of the most public and the one of the most damning testimonies, accused Maxwell of all of the above and specifically named names of the rich and famous she was pimped out to. You, uh, you might have heard some of these names, like, I don't know, say Prince Andrew, he of the famous non-sweatiness. Giffray alleges that she was coerced to have sex with Prince Andrew at the age of 17, a charge that his royal shittiness denies with something that I guess could be considered conviction. She described dancing with you no. and you profusely sweating <laughs> and that she went on to have baths there's a, there's possibly. A, there's a slight problem with, 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 with the sweating um, because uh, I, I have a peculiar medical condition which is that I don't sweat um, or I didn't sweat at the time and that was, oh was she? Yes. I didn't sweat at the time because I um, ha had suffered what I would describe as an overdose of adrenaline in the Falklands War when I was shot at. Ah, yes, the I can't sweat because of PTSD alibi. Very common. 
The testimony of the victims regarding Maxwell is horrifying to hear and not the kind of thing a low-rated podcast you use to paddle male pattern ball in this year's questionable efficacy. Stay around on the mid-roll so we get paid. But you'll leave that shit to see it in. But if you haven't heard them, search them out and take a good long listen. Look at the women's faces as they give them and ask yourself who's more believable. The woman risking everything to tell her story or a socialite from a questionable family and an even more questionable behavior of 20 years at the hands of a convicted pedophile who kept her in the money. If you don't come back with the answer, the victims, then you're probably on one of Jeff's many rape tapes that Ghislaine has kept to trade for her freedom. Allegedly. Of course, last year, Jeff got busted, then came down with a bad case of dead, and Ghislaine dropped off for the face of the earth, popping up only to snag a double-double at an In-N-Out and maybe walk a dog on the beach. Which you gotta say, if you're looking to go out on the lam from the law... You're doing it wrong. For a year, Maxwell's been off the radar. Lawyers for many victims have looked for it. Reporters have scoured the kind of places rich pieces of shit like to hang around, like expensive hotels and French beach resorts, and found nothing. Rumors had her in Boston, shacked up with friends. Some said she was in South America. Others had her in Asia. But come to find out, Ghislaine Maxwell was right here in the good old U.S. fucking A in goddamn New Hampshire. Maxwell was, of course, arrested in Bradford, New Hampshire last week, a town of 1,600 people right between Lemster and Henniker. You all know it. Sites of interest in Bradford include the Covered Bridge built in 1854, the Bradford Town Hall, and the Bradford Bog. I mean, all the time we're thinking she's living in some European palace, and what do you know? She's sitting on a bloody bog as we speak. From the Boston Globe, quote, Maxwell, a citizen of three countries, apparently bought the home in an all-cash purchase at the end of December through an anonymous LLC, a prosecutor's memo said. The LLC has a Boston-based mailing address, according to public records. We had been discreetly keeping tabs on Maxwell's whereabouts, said William F. Sweeney Jr., the assistant director in charge of the FBI field office in New York, at a press conference. More recently, we had learned she had slithered away to a gorgeous property in New Hampshire, continued to live a life of privilege while her victims lived with the trauma inflicted upon them years ago. The memo went on to say that she had been hiding out in locations in New England for the past year, unquote. Now, instead of her nice house in the country, she's going to be sitting at the Metropolitan Detention Center, awaiting the first of her many court appearances and for a visit from the snitch fairy. Never heard of her. Oh, that's the fairy that gets her wings every time a suspect with information on powerful people accidentally dies in custody. In fact, the feds are so worried about a visit from the snitch fairy that according to the AP, quote, the Justice Department has added extra security precautions and placed federal officials outside the Bureau of Prisons in charge of ensuring that there's adequate protection for Maxwell. That's to help prevent other inmates from harming her and to stop her from harming herself, unquote. Meaning Bill Barr will probably personally need to strangle Ghislaine with her bed sheets instead of having one of the guards do it. Allegedly, I should say that for legal purposes. Should she live long enough to do so, chances are Maxwell is going to flip and fucking name names. With her bail hearing looming, a federal criminal defense attorney tells me that Gillian Maxwell and her attorneys may be working at a deal using a federal tool known as Queen for the Day that would involve her telling everything she knows about Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking ring. Cooperation, cooperation, cooperation. It's not even an issue. That's what federal criminal defense attorney Greg Lerman says Ghislaine Maxwell's attorneys are likely urging right now. So all the dirty laundry she's been sitting on for decades, any evidence she might possess, and any knowledge of who did what to whom and how illegal that was is pretty much all that's going to keep Ghislaine out of the pokey. But if she does that, 
Oh, wait, you can hear the bell ring. A snitch fairy is going to get her wings. I wouldn't want to be in her position, but then again, I don't have sex with children or associate with people who have sex with children. So, you know, I'm not an authority on that kind of thing. So uh, what happens next is she's arraigned in Manhattan next week, and then the long process of going to trial begins. Her lawyers will try to hammer out the best deal they can to get for her, and that largely depends on what she knows and what she's willing to talk about. I mean, if the Attorney General of the United States... I'm a co-conspirator. I know all about this little scam. Whose ties to this case go all the way back to his father goes to the trouble of trying to fire the U.S. Attorney in charge of prosecuting the case? Remember that? Yeah, now we know why. Then she's going to need some big names and big proof to keep her neck out of the bedsheet noose. And, you know, I guess her legal troubles. So, uh... Who knows all how all that will turn out? And I know I've been pretty tinfoil hat about all this, and that's usually my thing, but come on, not only is it fun, but the whole thing is so suspicious as fuck. Epstein and Maxwell have been associated with the rich and powerful their entire lives. Maxwell was with Epstein because she gave him, or recruited him, a woman can be an evil master man too, you sexist bastards, access to a different set of rich and powerful, and together they moved in financial, political, and social circles of the highest order, while the while recruiting, grooming, and sexually abusing young girls themselves and providing them to others. If you think Prince Andy ain't guilty as fuck, I have a bridge in London to sell you. I mean, can you imagine Bill Clinton turning down the intention of a young, attractive woman and then not and then not asking too many questions about her? Yeah, of course you can. Is it in the least plausible that Donald fucking Trump might enjoy the advances of a young blonde woman who reminds him of his daughter and was probably a couple of years younger than his daughter? <laughs> it would be laughable to think that he wouldn't. Alan Dershowitz, that fucker would be so happy to get some that he'd never dream of wondering where it came from. I could go on and on and on because rich and powerful are snared in honeypots and bad behavior all the fucking time. That's why people use honeypots in the first place. So let's not pretend we need some massive global conspiracy for all this to be true and for it to be true that some of these powerful people have the will and the ability to have a dangerous witness removed. The fact that Epstein is dead under incredibly suspicious circumstances is proof enough that that is not only possible, but even probable. If I were Ghislaine, I would be very, very worried about my future because it could be very, very short. There is a world that we common rabble know very little about in the circles of power and money. It's insular, xenophobic, and utterly amoral. They protect their own because the sins of one reflect badly on the rest, and they need to keep their dirt quiet let the masses, unless the masses suddenly realize their corporate masters and political overlords or celebrity messiahs are human too, and that they can bleed. If it bleeds... We can kill it. And the entire system would fall apart when the deluded, awestruck masses of stupid humanity realize how badly they're being fucked by this parasite class of useless human waste who exist only to hoard money and exploit their own perversions and debauchery. We will be distracted and dismayed, and they will quietly clean up their little mess while we are paying attention to whatever the fuck Kanye is saying or Trump is doing, and the problem will be quietly and permanently taken care of. Oh, look, another snitch fairy got her wings. That is it for our show this week. I almost forgot to write the closer this week. I've been so busy with all the things going around here. What with us building up our Patreon? Check that out at patreon.com slash what the hell podcast for some sweet, sweet swag for all you new donors coming out there. That will let people know how much you apparently love producer Gavin, which frankly makes me wonder what kind of people you are. 
Speaking of questionable people, rate and review this show wherever you get your pods. It will help others find the show and then question what kind of people you are for sharing this show. Shout out to, to Jeremy Ballon at Seltzer Kings who mixes and sound designs the show and makes it sound like I know what the hell I'm doing. So I guess for me, Dave, totally innocent of all allegations, Bledsoe, producer, worst alibi ever, Gavin, and all the fictional unindicted co-conspirators on the show, we want to say that suicide is never a solution, but neither was Jeffrey or Ghislaine's a fucking suicide. We'll see you all next week. for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.